He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Brought to you every single week here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always on the two-man power trip of wrestling, I am joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And on this show, for 58 episodes now, he is the head of this show. He is our captain. He is the one and only franchise Shane Douglas. Shane. Welcome in here. Let's settle in for a great episode, number 58. Man, that's last week. I, I didn't think we had anything left in us, but you know, it had so much feedback on the Gary Wolf episode. Uh, looking forward to this week. As always in the wrestling business, there's always a shitload of things to talk about. Oh, my God, yeah, shitload and a half. I mean, and it's funny, too, because we go through our run sheets. We kind of figure out... What's going to be a great thing to talk about? What should we bring up? How are we going to tie it into stuff that went on in the past week? But, you know, that Gary Wolf episode was a great barometer of what I think the the listeners want to hear, what I think the fan base wants to hear. Uh, And as we start to roll out our brand new promotion with Figures Toy Company, I think it's the perfect tie-in where we can really dive into a lot of aspects of your career. And obviously with Gary Wolf, it doesn't get much bigger than that one. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, all week long on Twitter, I kept, you know, tweeting out, you know, the yikes uh, face. You know, that it really was, for the fans listening that maybe not had seen it at that time, that really was the the general feeling in the pit of my gut when that, as soon as I grabbed him by that halo, because, you know, it's sort of like when you touch an electric fence or something, it takes you about a split second before you realize you're getting zapped. And it took me about the same amount of time before I realized, what the hell have I done? <laughs> this, this, is, this is not a good idea. So, <laughs> But, you know, the, but the fact you said that, too, last week, you said that, you know, when, after you threw him down, you kind of took a look to the crowd and was like digesting what just happened. It's like, you know, you, you knew what you were going to do, I guess, but you, you were like, you said it, you were... You took that kind of glance up and looked out there. It was like, oh boy, 
that just happened. And I know, uh, you know, you've had a couple instances in your career where you do that, but it's got to be somewhat unsettling for that first, uh, you know, millisecond where you're like, uh Oh, well, no, no doubt. And, you know, we, as a guy at my stage of the career, when I was breaking in, when I did, we would hear this myth, what we thought was a myth of something called white heat. And I saw it in full force that night. And afterwards, uh, you know, the death threats at home and my family getting death threats and uh, pretty, pretty crazy. But it's what I maintain today as then. The wrestling business hasn't changed, albeit the industry has. The wrestling business, as portended and as properly portrayed, will get the same reaction from people every time. If you built today, say Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe, for instance, in that same kind of an angle, and Joe, being as good as he is, would portray that the same way or better, uh, you'd get the same reaction. It's just that the industry, as stands currently uh, in sports entertainment, doesn't believe it has to go that direction. And I think it's an egregious mistake, especially as we look at the ratings. Yeah, you know, and it's a reason that you've always said the fans are, are tuning out in droves and... Uh... One of your co-hosts may be officially retired from watching current wrestling, but I'm not going to get into that right now. I have a oh Shane, I have a date and everything, but I don't want to get into it now because we have a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, but I do have a pinpointed time where I uh, have officially retired from uh, following some of the uh, the current wrestling that's going on out there. But before we even move forward on anything, I want to bring back to the forefront here our relationship that we now have with Figures Toy Company. As we mentioned last week, Figures Toy Company has two great wrestling figure lines that they're pushing now, and it's the Legends of Professional Wrestling and the Rising Stars of Professional Wrestling. And our new association with them, it's such great timing because they just signed a bunch of new people to come out with both lines, the Legends and the Rising Stars of Professional Wrestling. But the Shane Douglas figure, the Mikey Whipwreck figure, the Blue Meanie figure, and, and so many other great figures that they have are catching a moment in time that was the folks of ECW in the extreme era of professional wrestling. And if you head on over to figurestoycompany.com and wrestlingsuperstore.com, you can take a look at those figures that Figures Toys Company is bringing to the, the fans and to the collectors of professional wrestling action figures to professional wrestling collectibles. And when you see for yourself what they look like, oh my goodness, I, I, I gotta say, we have a giveaway that we're going to be announcing tonight on this show that will be in full detail in the next day, uh, and we will reveal the winner next week. But Shane, I actually got to get my hands on a few of these this past week, and Figures Toy Company sent us a box that we're going to be uh, kind of passing out here to the fans. But to see these things, and I know you have, they are so incredibly impressive that if there was to be some kind of uh, incident between action figures, I got my money on the franchise Shane Douglas figure because it's so damn realistic that I feel like I'm holding about uh, you know about six inches of uh, franchise greatness in my hands, and I do not mean anything double when I say that. <laughs> I was going to say, you might want to rephrase that a little bit because somebody might mistake... Uh the relationship here between me and my podcast partners. Uh, <laughs> no, that you're right. I mean, they've, uh, I think they've done a fantastic job. And what I especially appreciate about the, the figures, uh, action figures, figure toys coming action figures is that, uh, like for instance, the fringe of my boots is real fringe. Uh, the tattoos are accurate 
to what my real tattoos are. Uh, you know, it, it is when you look at the franchise, then as you remember him, and you look at the franchise action figure by figures toy company, they're very reminiscent of taking you right back to that point in time. The point in time when you saw me grab Gary Wolf's Halo, when you saw the three way dance, when you saw ECW in all of its glory. And that takes me back to Twitter today and, and hearing the fans ad nauseum through the entire thing, just going back and reliving, you know, uh, I was this old and when I watched that pay-per-view where I skipped school where, the day I got this video to, to watch. Uh, it's what I always say about the ECW fans. And I know this is a cliche that gets thrown around, but I can tell you from firsthand experience of having wrestled in so many companies, the ECW fans were different. They were more loyal. They were more intelligent to the business and to, to what they were seeing. And for all those reasons, and then you add that on top of that, the reaction that we would get on a night-to-night -night basis in ECW, for me as a performer, and I'm sure I speak for everybody in the dressing room, was it didn't matter how bad of a week you had. It didn't matter how shitty your day went. When you walked into an ECW venue and you walked to that ring in the arena, uh, the, the mood was electric. It was like somebody plugging you into a 220-amp outlet, and now you're off to the races. The ECW fans were, you know, pardon my friends, they were so fucking cool as to what we were portending with the ECW product. And I think the figures action, uh, the figures toy company action figures uh, bring a lot of that back to life for the fans as they remember us then. Yeah, and John, if you can, why don't you uh, elaborate from the fan perspective? Because a lot of what Shane said can be uh, translated to also the fans as well. Because I think we felt like we were kind of involved in something uh, a little different just watching it, you know, on those little TVs that we were, whether you had to sneak it uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday or you were getting a tape handed to you by somebody who was uh, lucky enough to order it. You felt like you were watching something special, just like Shane said, but you can kind of move it over to the fan side. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. But, uh, late night, we used to watch it on the MSG network, which was on probably about, uh, it was after midnight. Maybe it was around like 1 o'clock. But, yeah, you had to kind of sneak it a little bit. Uh, you know, when you're younger at that age, especially when you're about 13 or so, your parents are always kind of curious what you're watching. And you got to make sure, you know, you're not watching anything uh, you shouldn't be watching. Sometimes ECW almost could be portrayed that way. But I just remember a lot of people always used to say, well, that's the, the real wrestling or the real shit goes on uh, when you watch that stuff and you watch it late night that's when the real wrestling comes on as, as opposed to some of this other cartoony stuff that you might see uh, elsewhere the forbidden fruit yes <laughs> hey do you think anybody ever said anything about that cartoony stuff on ecw television <laughs> let me go to the bathroom here i'll come back in a few minutes guys can talk freely <laughs> no but you know it's funny though shane i mean look we were in that that time frame we were you know in our mid-teens as ecw was taken off so we weren't able to drive yet but we also weren't you know sucking our thumbs uh you know learning our abcs at that point so it tapped into the cool factor it tapped into the grunge music we've talked about this before so i don't want to hit it over the head again it just made you feel different 
as a fan. And as we kind of talk about a few things uh, this week, you know, more in terms of what we talked about last week, it just kind of changed the way things were viewed uh, from the fan perspective. But I, I don't want to get into that again. We have a few things we really got to get into um, tonight, and I want to get into it in a, in a major way right now. So last week we talked about the passing of Brian Lawler, a.k.a. Brian Christopher. There wasn't a lot of information that was out there yet. There was some you know, conflicting stories that were starting to kind of intertwine within one another. Uh, some of the dirt sheets might have been a little bit uh, out of line with some of the things that they posted in terms of uh, what people feel they were reporting. But also, you know, we're having to watch a legend and a guy that we all love in Jerry the King Lawler publicly suffer through the loss of his son in, in a very public way. And it's kind of where I want to go with the second point on our list here before we get into more of the details. And Jerry Lawler did return to the ring this past weekend, which, I mean, is is amazing. And I guess it's probably therapeutic for him. But the pictures that were circulating of him uh, wearing Brian Christopher's uh, ring vest, uh, emotionally embracing James Ellsworth, who he uh, he worked with this past weekend, uh, it's just a touching, touching scene. So, Shane, I don't know if you got a chance to take a look at some of that, but can't imagine what was going through the King's head during that weekend. Well, I did get a chance to glance at it. And you know, as a parent, look, any of us, we're all three parents sitting here. Uh, we can lament what Jerry was going through. I, I, I can't comprehend, and I don't want to even attempt to comprehend. Um, but clearly, you know, it seems like there's – you know, and maybe it's just the, the, the place where we sit today with this internet that has very few controls over it that, you know, conspiracy theories just seem to roll out. And, you know, we've seen those ad nauseum in relation to this. You know, the, the facts will come out in time. And when those facts come out, if they support any of those theories, then you know, I'd say it should be. It, it's far more worth looking into, not because of the public figure he's any more important than anybody else, but because, uh, you know, as the old saying goes, uh, uh, sunlight is the best bleach, the best sanitizer. And, uh, you know, if there's something more to look at here, a closer look we'll see. Uh, I have some belief that Jerry's not going to just let this go without looking into it as deeply as you can. And I think for everybody's sake, and out of respect for Jerry and for Brian, that we allow the family the time to do that without suddenly jumping into those conspiracy theories or what ifs and maybes and could have, would have been, would have been, uh, let's let that sort of play out on its own and see Let's see what the official version come, turns out to be. Let's see what the uh, the coroner's office says. And then let's see what uh, the Lawler family does. But out of respect to Jerry, I, I you know, really feel reticent to comment beyond that. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy how the, uh, the dirt sheets and some of the wrestling journalists um, were reporting stuff that hadn't actually been finalized yet. And I mean, finalized as in, uh, his life technically hadn't ended when they were reporting him to have passed away. And, and that's kind of unfortunate. Uh, but also, you know, in this day and age where everything's news, um, 
it was reported in, in that manner. Now, one thing that has kind of been the uh, the circulating thing is, was he, you know, was something happening on the inside? Was it just a plain and simple, you know, he committed suicide? There seems like there might be some more nefarious uh, things going on behind the scenes. But again, it's nothing that we know. And the reason that we kind of are bringing this to light is because Jerry Lawler has retained an attorney and they're investigating what happened because... You know, some people are saying he didn't seem like he was suicidal as he was going in there. Uh, I've heard, you know, different things that, you know, uh, Jerry had seen him uh, prior to departing to to go wherever he was going. And that, you know, Brian might have been a little, you know, upset of the circumstances that he was being faced with. But it it just it's, you know, I guess you said it's conspiracies. It's all uh, hearsay. It's all rumors at this point. But, um, you know, Shane, what are you kind of hearing throughout the, uh, the, the Twitterverse here as well as some of the things that we were able to kind of see this past week with the news coming out? Well, pretty much, you know, what everybody else is hearing. Uh, you know, and, and this is like we've talked about this so many times on the show. The Internet, unfortunately, gives equal weight to anybody, no matter what screwball wants to go on there and say something regardless of how damaging that might be to the family or to the authorities, if this was what they portended to be. So, you know, it's, you know, I feel like I'm on a very slippery slope right now. And that I don't want to go, you know, you don't want to jump on the bandwagon and say, well, X number of people said this or X number of people said that. Um, I, I think the first play in this game, is to let the official version play out as it's going to play out, whether we stay for it to or not, uh, and see where those chips fall, and then, you know, see how the family's going to respond. You know, suffice it to say, anybody with a loved one would know that or would take the same task. If, if this kind of a circumstance, I mean, let's be honest, you're in an institution uh a government institution whether it's a uh sublet to, you know an independent contractor or whatever it's it's a government run institution or government paid run institution and my take on that personally is that if one of my podcast partners gets thrown in jail or committed to an institution or whatever that it's their job. At that point, the second you are put into that institution, it's their job to be your babysitter, your caretaker. And like I've seen things online saying that the camera system may or may not have been working. And I don't want to in any way make anybody think I'm speaking for the family. I've not spoken to Jerry. Uh, but if that were my kid in there, I'd have serious questions as to... How did this happen? Why, if the cameras weren't working, why the hell weren't they working? Uh, and I think it's hard to find an answer that would suffice to me if it was my son or to any family. Uh, so, you know, I, I just hope and pray that this is just one of those unfortunate things that happens and that the family not be taken through any more uh, hardship than they have to be. But, I mean, let's face it, in this day and age, 
when anybody can get on the computer and slap anything up there they want. Doesn't matter if it's hurtful to the family, doesn't matter if it's hurtful to the institution. Uh, you just have to sort of let it play out and hope the facts bear out one way or the other. But it's, uh, it's a tragedy. No matter which way you slice it, no matter which way, if there's fault, who that fault falls on. Uh, but no matter which way you slice, this is a tragedy. A guy cut short at 46 years. Uh, oh, that's in my book far too young. And it seems to be a recurring theme in our industry. You know, that we see so many guys. Uh, I remember Hacksaw Jim Duggan saying, uh, when we were doing pro wrestlers versus zombies, he said, it's hell to make 45 in this business. But once you clear that, it's smooth sailing. And, you know, it's, uh, he may have been off by a year or two on that. Yeah, that's crazy. And to say that it was also, you know, kind of, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make light of it and say it was slow, but in the last few years, we've seen fewer deaths with the mysterious, uh, whether it's addiction based passings or more, uh, you know, kind of controversial passes. We, we haven't seen that in the last couple of years. And I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that some aspects of the business were cleaned up. But in his case, he had a lot of issues that were well-documented. Um, and not to, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not going to demonize. Him, I'm not going to say anything bad about him because I, I don't wish, hope, think, or anything when, negative when it comes to Brian Lawler at all. Uh, but it, I just, if anything, I hope he's at peace. But uh, it's just a shame, yeah, 46 years old, and always in great shape, you know, very talented guy, and uh, it's, you know, it's just, it's a real shame, but it's almost got that feel to it, you say conspiracies, it's almost like that, you know, (laughs) I don't want to sound like a kook (laughs) or a crazy person, but you hear about some of those mysterious deaths throughout uh, other aspects of the world, where, oh, there's just, you know, no cameras in that wing of the, the jail, or, oh, Hey, uh, how did he hang himself if in jail they always check for that kind of stuff? Or where was the guard? It's got that kind of story behind it. Like, it's almost like, uh, you know, some of these other uh, aspects of conspiracy theories. You know what I'm trying to say, Shane? I'm trying to dance around it, but it's almost like it's got that uh, secret society undertone to it. You know what I mean? That there's so many mysterious things that have to do with it. Yeah, and, and, you know, anything you look at, you know, you can look at something and if somebody whispers something in your ear, uh, it's always easy to get sidetracked by that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just a firm believer in somebody that thinks facts matter. Uh, as we've seen so often today in all walks of life, they don't seem to as much. Uh, but I, I think that facts matter. And that I had a professor one time in college, you know, when I was full of myself and you know, arguing a point in class, uh, she hit me with, you know, two plus two equals four. It doesn't matter if you're here on Earth or on Pluto. Two plus two equals four. Facts matter. And uh, and I, I think that bears repeating here today, you know, that, you know, look, if, uh, if something comes out and there's evidence that something nefarious may have happened, then... I wish the uh, Lawler family, well, I wish them the best either way, but uh, I mean, I wish the Lawler family and his loved ones the opportunity to pursue that. Um, 
But by the same token, I, I caution, let's not just jump in because we read some meme online or whatever. It's, uh, you know, it, it's sad that you have to preface everything, including the story as sad as this today, with that kind of a preface. But you do, because, you know, so much of what you're hearing and seeing on mainstream news today may or may not be correct. Uh, you know, you have to really take time to do your own due diligence to research. So you pick up paper A and you read a story and you can't just say, well, I read it in paper A. It must be true, as so many generations of people were able to do. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before with, you know, with uh, the advent of fake news and everything. And across the board, there are stories that you see have to be rescinded taken back, apologized for, uh, stories that aren't commented on, uh, that seem to be of some importance. And so you just have to sort of weigh it out on a case-by-case basis. Like I implore my kids, when you hear it on TV or on the internet or in, in a paper or a periodical, don't buy it just because you read it or saw it. Do your own homework. Dig and research it. And don't just go to one place. Go to multiple places and research it. Because, you know, think of it from the Lawler family. If they're given the facts and they tend to agree with those facts, and then suddenly there's a handful of people online saying, yeah, but what about this and what about that? It makes it awful damn hard for a family to then put it to rest. Um Look, I have no doubt, knowing Jerry like I know him, I'm sure he's going to dig into this as deeply and as proficiently as he needs to do and the family needs to do. And hopefully, if they're... uh, uh, Hopefully, they'll be able to get to the bottom of this the best way they can. Uh, Like we said, either way you slice it, it's a tragedy. You know, for somebody 46 years old and in such good health, to now be in a grave and, you know, the family, uh, you know, I, I just can't imagine, like I said with kids, I've often said, always said, you know, boil me in oil twice before you hurt my kids. I, I mean, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I, I don't know how somebody can survive something like that. So my heart truly goes out to Gary and the entire family over something like this, and I'm hoping that they get the peace that they're looking for out of this. Shane, do you think it's therapeutic for him to get between those ropes and, uh, and perform? Is it, you think after all these years, something that uh, may be his outlet to kind of uh, channel some of that sadness and uh, do something that makes people feel uh, very happy? No doubt. Uh, you know, Gary's been at this how long, far longer than me. And, uh, you know, I think for anybody, getting back to work and getting their mind off of whatever trouble is at hand, that it somehow, you know, the, the uh, autopilot takes over. And I'm sure it's the same for Jerry when he gets inside those ropes. Uh, but, I mean, let's be honest. Losing a child, no matter what age, is a, it's got to be one of life's worst uh, uh, ribs, one of life's worst uh, events that you can go through. 
And I hope for Jerry's sake that that does work, that, you know, getting inside the squared circle and uh, performing allows him, if even for the 10 minutes he's in the ring, allows him 10 minutes of respite from concentrating on the, the horrible event that, you know, that, that, that he's facing. So uh, I hope that's the case. As far as you and your history with Brian Lawler, I can't kind of place you guys in the same place at the same time. Have you guys ever wrestled? Did you ever cross paths at all with him? I don't recall ever wrestling. Uh, you know, we obviously crossed paths, uh, you know, but in an esoteric way. I, I was never, as far as I remember, ever under contract in the same company that Brian was. You know, obviously we saw each other on numerous events on independent shows and coming and going uh, type of thing. Uh, I always got along very well with Brian. Um, yeah, always found him to be, you know, full of energy and uh, a bit on the sarcastic side, which, you know, as you know, a certain franchise we all know and love uh, seems to be a little sarcastic at times. Uh, <laughs> sardonic, maybe. So, uh, you know, but no, I don't, uh, you know, and, and again, please, if, if we were in some territory together for two months or something, don't, don't hammer me on Twitter tomorrow. Uh, but I, I don't recall that we were ever pretty like the period of time in, in companies together. Now this will be going into the Twitter verse, if you will, the Twitter universe. We always get tweets and, and I Obviously, Shane, you get a ton of tweets from the uh, great fans. Now, Chuzzler1976 actually wrote this into us, and he said he was enjoying catching up on the Invasion episode of the Pritchard Show. Obviously, Bruce Pritchard Show. I do not. I do yeah. think it was a he broke. I do think it's a great shame that WWE didn't reach out to the franchise. Shane Douglas as a figurehead for the Alliance. His promos alone would have been gold. And had a great realism that was lacking. And obviously he, he wrote to Bruce and Conrad as well. But Shane, you said that that was something that you kind of wanted to have a thorough discussion on this episode about. Now, what actually was the, the talks, I guess, or were you asked to be a part of the uh, invasion, if you will, the alliance of ECW and WCW in the WWE? You mean from when... They left WCW to go to WWF. Well, this was about the time I, I guess you would have been in WCW um, at this point. I don't know uh, how your your contract worked out, but this would have been the end of WCW and in, in, into 2001, towards the summer where they did the the invasion yeah. angle. They ended up bringing ECW into the fold. Yeah, they. We, yes. Uh, to answer your first question, yes. Um, I had called, we had had some problems, you know, obviously because of the, you know, tension between uh, Chris Benoit and uh, Kevin Sullivan. There was some concern when WCW announced that Kevin Sullivan was going to be the booker. And we went in as a group to talk, to inquire, uh, to pretty much make sure that our faction wasn't going to be hammered because, you know, of that personality conflict, if there was one at that time, uh, between Kevin and Chris. So when uh, 
we were told that there were no guarantees of that in so many words. Uh, Terry Taylor, who was working at WWF at the time, and I had, you know, had had a long history with Terry at that point. And I left the meeting and literally the phone was right outside. The payphone was right outside the door of where we, we were having the meeting in the uh, Cincinnati uh, arena. And I called Terry Taylor and told him what was going on and asked him if there would be any interest in bringing the group of us in. And Terry said he asked me to let him call, call me back. And, uh, and I did. Uh, he called back several minutes later and uh, said that you know, Vince was interested in bringing us all in. And you know, now that's a, a sort of ubiquitous statement because yeah, if I want to bring in at minimum wage, probably none of us are interested. So just saying that alone is not a guarantee that we're all just going to jump in a car and, or a plane and fly up or drive up to uh, Connecticut. And uh, the very next day we were in Columbus, Ohio for a TV taping. We were all in catering when we were all gathered up. Security came and got each one of us and took us uh, to the office where we were told in pretty direct, straightforward fashion, you know, that, you know, we were being sent home until, you know, they could get to the bottom of it. There was a pending investigation and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Well, we got back to the hotel at the Columbus airport and we all went back and packed our bags. It was in the evening. It was pretty late. We all met downstairs in the restaurant and had a few bottles of wine, at which point I told the other guys at the table, look, this is how Vincent Mann operates. He divides the conquer. So we either stick together or we all sink together. It's one or the other. And we all shook on it. We all had a sip of wine on it. Um, everybody agreed to that. And within a couple of days, I had gotten a phone call from Bruce Pritchard asking me, like apparently as the figurehead, uh, talking for everybody, what it was we were looking for to come. And I said, well, you know, we really can't say, you know, until you make us an offer. And he said, well, we can't make you an offer until we know you're out of your contracts in WCW. And I laughed and I said, Bruce, you and I both know you and I can't be talking right now, but we are. So tell Vince, we need to know what we're talking about number wise, or we can't talk any further. And that was, I believe on Wednesday, I believe it was Saturday of that same week. I get a phone call from Vince Russo asking me where I was. And I told him I was at home, and he said, are you sure about that? Which is sort of an odd answer, you know, to that kind of response. And I said, well, you want to talk to my wife? And he said, no, no, I believe it. But he said, uh, the reason I'm asking is I just got a phone call from the, I believe it was the Ramada Inn in Stanford, Connecticut. Had called him and said that 
his boys were checking in. And when you said his boys to Vince Russo, he meant the revolution. And uh, so he asked me where everybody else was. And I said, let me call you right back. I'll, I'll tell you in a second. So we hung up and I called Dean Malenko, who I was closest with in the group because we'd known each other the longest. He answered the phone on the first ring and assured me multiple times that he was at his beach house in Florida with uh, Julie, his wife, and Larissa, his daughter. I called Vince Russo back immediately, and I said, I can't speak for anybody else, but I placed my bet in my life that Dean Malenko's in Florida with his wife and daughter. Uh, several minutes passed, and he called back and said, I don't want to call anybody a liar, but I just spoke to my contact again at the Ramada Inn, and I'm 99% positive with Ramada Inn, uh, that they said that they were all checking in or checked in to the Ramada. So at that point, he said, well, it's easy enough to figure this out. Just call the Ramada and ask to be run through to each person's room, which I did. After about an hour of waiting, I sat there. I, I felt guilty because I didn't believe my friends. And so I hesitated. My ex-wife, who was pregnant at the time with our oldest son, after going through eight years of infertility treatments, she said, if you call and they're not there, only you and I know you made that call. Uh, well, that, that makes sense. So I called. And when I called, I started down the list on the top of my head. I said, is Chris Benoit there? Checked in. Turns out the person who answered the phone was a big wrestling fan. So it was more than eager to give me information. And they said, uh, yeah, Chris Benoit checked in two hours ago, an hour ago, whatever it was. I said, how about Perry Sotulo? And they said, yep, Perry's uh, checked in. An hour ago, again, whatever time frame it was. And when I got to Dean Malenko, the person said, no, no Dean Malenko. We don't, Dean, Dean hasn't checked in. And so for a second, there was a respite that I believed my friend. And just as I got ready, and I felt great about that, that I hadn't been lied to. It wasn't. 30 seconds and we're getting ready to hang the phone up and it popped into my head that when Dean wanted to kayfabe, he would use uh, his shoot name, which is Shelly Simon. And I said, do you have any Simons checked in? And the guy punched up the computer and he said, yeah, but it's a woman. I said, is it Shelly Simon by chance? Yeah, how'd you know? And I literally felt like the weight drop out from under me, you know, that why would, A, why would he lie to me? That's the first thing. Secondly, why did he lie to me and think I wouldn't find it out? Second thing. And the third thing that popped into my head is Vince did exactly what I warned them about, about that he would divide and conquer, try to slice us down the middle. And, uh, you know, so that just started uh, an odyssey with, WCW 
legal for me. I had never requested a release from WCW. And, you know, for some period of time, put a wedge between me and, and uh, my former friends. Now, did you ever talk to Dean after the fact and kind of get the story about why he lied and what that was all about? Yeah, about a month after that all happened, he sent me a letter and, you know, trying to explain why they did what they did. And it's sort of like, you know, hearing somebody like, you know, if I were to sleep with your wife tonight, you'd call me and confront me on it. And a month from now, I send you a letter and say, hey, JP, you know, I hope you don't feel bad about me sleeping with your wife, but here's why I did that. There is no explanation that I can give that makes that proper. And, you know, without getting into the nuts and bolts of it here, because we've since, uh, you know, put it behind us, uh, his answers didn't quite any more than mine with your wife would do, uh, assuage my anger. And there were several years where we, none of us talked because of that. And, you know, it was uh, sometime after that before we ended up catching back up again. And, uh, you know, in my mind at that time, I put it behind me as this is the wrestling business. You know, you should have expected it. And but that answer only takes you so far because, like, to me, my friendship isn't predicated that I'm, a, I'm somebody that wrestles with somebody. Or in the same industry with somebody. I'm somebody's friend on a personal level. And, uh, you know, but like I said, just for the, the, the sake of everybody, I, I just decided to put it behind us and, and move forward. And, you know, thankful that happened not long before the whole uh, Chris Benoit debacle happened um, that shocked all of us. Now, in this spe uh, specific instance from Chuzzler 1976 that he was writing in, he was actually talking about a year later. So this is 01. I did want to mention that story, which is 2000 as well, but you kind of switched it on me. We kind of did a reverse order. But he means in 2001, did they kind of um, basically reach back out to you when WWE was, had closed its doors and they were doing that invasion angle where it's basically a fake version of WCW was feuding with WWF. Did they at all, Bruce Pritchard or anybody, did they reach back out to you and say, hey, we're going to redo no. ECW? No, they never reached out to you again? No, there was the, the early on when Dean and Chris first went to WCW, Dean flew back to Philadelphia and hung out for the weekend uh, on an ECW weekend. And he and I went down and had sushi down by the uh, Schuylkill River, uh, Nice smelling river, if you're familiar with it. Um, and, uh, you know, made the offer of me coming in as the mouthpiece of the new Four Horsemen, which I summarily shot down. And uh, at the time that I left WCW in 2000, 2001, whatever it was, uh, WWF, whatever it was at that point, did. I did have a meeting with them, but it was not through Dean or Chris or anybody. And ironically, it was with Terry Taylor, 
and Jim Ross. And the offer that they made to me was laughable at best. And so I walked out and never never spoke or met with them again. Um, I mean, it was it was an embarrassment the number that they put forward, an embarrassment for them that they would put that kind of a number forward. And me having been through that already with them some four or five years before that, I wasn't even prepared to even entertain that offer. Uh, you know, if you want to go play with somebody else's life, feel free. You're not going to do it with mine. And that was the last time that I entertained any real offer from, from WWE or Vincent Mann. On the episode, Bruce, I'm going to paraphrase here, but Bruce has a great quote. Shane didn't want to work with Vince, and Vince sure as hell didn't want to work with Shane again. Do you believe that from uh, both sides of the spectrum? Obviously, you know one for sure. Well, I mean, why would he make an offer? He didn't, if Vince sure as hell didn't want to work with me again, why did he make an offer? Um, because him being the cheapskate that he's historically been, but I was on tough times, and he could get me for a song and a dance, and he didn't. So if I'm the owner of a company, I don't want to use you. I ain't talking to you. Why would I make an offer of any kind? And, you know, that's verifiable through my uh, agency at the time, my agent who was with me. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, like most things in the wrestling business, once you have the facts and you can back up those facts, the meme that's usually put up by the promotion doesn't pass the stink test. And, you know, I wasn't looking for a job from Vince at the time. Like I said, I'd worked for him five years, four years before that, and didn't have that great a time. So when they played out an offer, and me and my agent flew to Stanford to take that offer, I told my agent leaving there. Uh, as he was heading back to the train station, because he was flying out of New York, um, ain't worth even discussing. Don't even respond to it. And, uh... I'm guessing he didn't, because I never did. When you're meeting with them and, and you're going up to Stanford, is Vince there at all? Is he a part of the meeting, or is this just Jim no. Ross because he was uh, in charge of the talent acquisition at this point? Yeah, no, it was just Jim Ross and, and Terry Taylor, and you know they went into Jim especially went into the same song and dance he had four years before. You know it's. Uh, something along the lines of you know, opportunity only strikes once and you got to strike when the fire's hot and all that kind of shit. I said, well, I felt for that four years ago. And, uh, you know, had they made a substantial offer that I think I was worth the time, I would have probably considered it. But when people ask about why did I go to WCW, because obviously at that time, especially at the height of the Attitude Era, the franchise character was tailor-made for the WWF. And the reason I went is because the WCW offered me about 10 times the money that WWF did as the quote-unquote number one company. So I always tell people, if you're working for big uh, McDonald's or Burger King, and Burger King offers you 10 times the minimum wage. You don't say, yeah, but McDonald's sells more hamburgers. Someone to go work for them. Uh, 
it really was a, a numerical number. It, it boiled down to being just a number to me at that point. And add in the fact that I had worked with them before and didn't have any love at all for WWF. So there was no reason, unlike ECW, that part of it was being able to pull me in had I been on the outside looking in for some period of time at a much lower number because it was my home. It was where I, I, I loved, I, you know, I had an affinity for ECW. I had the exact opposite of WWE. I was turned off by the company. And had they offered me enough money, I would have gone to work there and worked my ass off like I have for anybody that's ever paid me. Uh, but I wasn't going to go back for pennies on what I thought I was worth for each dollar. And that's what they offered. So it made it especially easy for me to go pound salt. Now, do you think that was Vince wanting to bring you in? Or do you think that was Jim Ross, who is kind of known, if, if you really are a smart fan, you kind of know he's one of the best talent evaluators as far as bringing talent in and, and taking good talent, you know, for instance, the Rock, Steve Austin from WCW, Foley from WCW, uh, Vader, you know, the, the list goes on and on. All the guys he wants to bring in and guys he likes you at one point. So you think that's Jim Ross saying, like, man, I, I think Shane would fit here? Or you think Vince was like, man, we should bring him in? My guess is probably it was Jim Ross because uh, Jim had seen me since I'd broken or got my break into the business um, in, in uh, UWF. But again, it didn't matter where it was coming from. The number was embarrassing for a company that size and told you pretty much if you were smart enough to understand what those numbers mean, smart enough to understand that those numbers tell you pretty much what they think of your talent and where, where they're going to use them in the card. So when I looked at the number, it wasn't even worth a reply. And, uh, you know, so... Because of the number being so low, I, I, I've got to believe somewhere in my heart that, in my brain, that Vince was at work somewhere in there to see that, you know, maybe we can get him to bite this and then we can really fuck him. Um, and thankfully, WCW came back with an offer that was so far superior to the WWF offer that... Uh, in hindsight especially, but even at that time, it was the smartest move I could have made in my career. Um, you know, the, uh, like I've said a million times, when I went to WWF in 1996, I went there with every ambition to work my ass off and to be a character that mattered to them. And... And I, you know, all we need to do is go back and look at tapes and you can see that the company clearly had other uh, ambitions. You know, you don't take a guy who's known for fiery oratory and tell him to talk in a monotone voice and take him so far out of his element as to be that, that original element that was so well-known and well-regarded around the world and put him in something that is so antithetical to that character, so opposite of that character, and expect that to work. You know, so unfortunately for Vince, I was at least smart enough to identify that. Uh, unlike many people in business, it hard to go back there time and time again and walk out as bruised or bruised, more bruised than the first time they were there. Uh, I knew when I left there in 96, 
it would take an act of God to get me back here. And that act didn't come when that, that pathetic uh, offer came in 2001. So it just made it really easy to say, don't even respond. So also on Twitter, user Evans5902 asked about a dark match between you and Shawn Michaels, where the old story goes, uh, HBK, a.k.a. HB Shizzle, disrespected you in the ring. Um, your quote was, it was so typical of the entire approach to our business, sports entertainer to professional wrestler. Which of us was which? So let's talk more about that, Shane. I want to know about the time where I guess it was when Click had that emergency meeting in Valparaiso, Indiana. I think that was the same time. But basically, Shawn Michaels versus you, Shawn gets the win in a, a dark match. I believe it was part of a Superstars taping, but it was basically a September 95 WBF show in Indiana. Yeah, we were... Bill Watts was the booker at the time, and I think he saw that you know he's very familiar with my work and I'm sure very familiar with Sean's work and thought that you know Bill who was a big heel guy uh, saw what I was capable of in the heel and I think I know I've spoken to him since that he saw real value in putting this ultimate heel with this penultimate baby face so uh we get to Valparaiso for a dark match, and we are in the ring in front of 17,000-something people. The building was packed, and we're circling around as we go to lock up. Sean Michaels takes a flat-back bump, and he's laying in the ring laughing. And, you know, I know that Bill Watts is looking on in the back right now at the monitor in real time. I know that Bill Watts right now is having a stroke back there, wondering why I'm not dropping on him and sugar in his ass and locking him up. And so I said to him, covering my mouth, I said, unless you want to get your ass stretched, you better get back to your feet. And he jumped up and he covered his hand over his face and said, take it easy, Dean, take it easy. Like it's some big fucking joke out there. And, uh, and this is how the whole match went. I'm trying to call the match as a heel, and he keeps on, like, say, I would call it hip toss. He's going, no backdrop. Now, there's no hip toss, goddammit. That's how the whole match went. It was pulling teeth. And I come back, the match, as you can imagine, was sucked, you know, because I'm pushing, he's pulling, and, uh, you know, it just wasn't working. And I come back to the curtain. And Bill Watts is standing there, and he hasn't said a word. He's got his hands out to his side like, what the fuck happened? And one of the few times I ever spoke back to Bill, I said, I put my finger up, like, don't say a word. And I walked past him. I'm walking past him. I said, it's all your golden boy. Talk to him. And uh, and went back. You know, But both of us had been told at that point what the angle was. The angle was to be a repeat of Rick, Rick Rude versus the Ultimate Warrior, where I would ultimately beat him for the Intercontinental title, and at WrestleMania, he would beat me for the world title with Chin Music. I was fine with that. I assumed he was, but I guess your son Michael's going to lose your smile. It's easy enough to see why you'd get upset about 
losing a match. Um, so, you know, we've already spoken before about the in your house in Regina and what happened there. Uh, this was the outset of that. This was the front end of that. And, uh, you know, I was more than willing. If someone wanted to go out and shoot, that we could do that. I'm fine with that. And in fact, I'll do it today. Uh, the question was, if this guy who the WWF, who Vince McMahon, when you say WWF, you understand you say Vince McMahon, sees this guy as his top guy, his guy that's the most capable, then make him go out there and earn that. And Vince never did that. And we know that ultimately that led to some real tough times in WWF. Um, capping with the click just totally disrespecting the fans, disrespecting themselves, and disrespecting the company and going out in Madison Square Garden and having this summit because they felt like it. Fuck Vince and fuck the fans and fuck the company and all the guys in the dressing room trying to make a living. We're going to clatter because we feel like doing it. Um, you know, it's just so typical for what you see at the click and the attitude of those guys at that time. Now, Shane, on this one, I'm going to grab the tag rope and I'm going to join you in this one and get on your team and tag up with you for a second. Because I feel like a lot of fans don't know the uh, Shawn Michaels of that era of the 90s. Oh, they're like, oh, that was just Shawn being Shawn or something like that. But people don't realize that this guy, and they call him Mr. WrestleMania and all this other stuff, and I do think he's a great wrestler, and I do like him, but, yeah. I, have to, but, and I, ha- but I have to be real. He would take matches off. He would take months at a time off. And I'm not talking about he wasn't wrestling. He was wrestling, but he did exactly what he did in your match. He took the match off. He was he dogged it. Yeah. You could tell he was being lazy or, or he was overselling or he was you know laughing, trying to make a joke in the ring. There were so many instances with him where you just say, man, he's just so much talent. such a good wrestler. He's just got to stop fucking around. And he's got to, oh, my job and this guy I'm going to hand the belt over. Um, you know, pretend I got beat up by a bunch of Marines when I was one guy, <laughs> you know, kicking my yeah. ass or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever story. But I don't think people like the new fans, they just think, oh, Mr. WrestleMania, he was great. Oh, he had great matches with this guy and that guy. They don't realize he kind of, you know, took his own ball and would go home at points or even just have horrible matches on purpose. Yeah. And, and, and you can see why somebody that, but then later claims they lost their smile. Uh, when something didn't go their way. Uh, you know, look, uh, the, the historical data is out there. People can look at it and they can, you know, if somebody hates Shane Douglas or hates anybody that says something antithetical to what Sean's career has been, understand that the company, their job, and this is no slam to the WWF, uh, their job is to make this guy a superhero. That's their job. Uh, so when you hear the stories and you've heard how many now ad nauseum, Sean was beaten up by, well, I would you know, joke about the number, what was it, like 12 or 15 people? Uh, like at the time, that was the story that was put out by the WWF uh, when it turned out to be one. <laughs> uh, him, 14 title. Uh, you know, all, all these things that come into the play, you know, where... Uh, you know, when he showed up at Regina and he's got a scratch on him, goes into the makeup room and suddenly made up to look like he was beaten to hell, uh, I would be embarrassed to do something like that. And I say that as somebody that came through ECW 
we often carried real bruises and real tears and stitches. Uh, I would be embarrassed to go and do that and say that. Um, the only reason you would do it is because, you know, it would find a sympathetic ear in your boss, um, which then would allow you to figure that you could do whatever the hell you wanted to do. And, that, you know, so ergo played out. You know, we end up at this point where the click walks out uh, and Madison Square Garden has this summit meeting, as JP put it, uh, which completely rips the kayfabe off the business and doesn't matter to them because they're all making their money. But how about the guys and the women in the back that are making their money on a night-to-night basis? Uh, you know, so... It's real easy when you, you surmise it and, and purview it from Sean's comments that you can make friends or you can make money. I choose to make money, Sean's comments. Uh, my comment being I've been able to do both in my career. And uh, and I sleep very well at night. I never lost my smile. Uh, you know, and it's laughable. You know, and, and I say that all with the greatest respect for Sean's in-ring, in-ring abilities. Anybody that's ever listened to me do an interview knows I have never put Sean down in that respect. Uh, Sean is and will always be one of the apex performers in our career, in our business. Uh, but why you would resort with all that talent to the cheap politicking that Sean did, uh, I don't know. Me personally, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that in my career, uh, and I wouldn't be so cavalier about sitting with my money today if I had done that in my past. Uh, you know, it's it's just you know, it's all where each person sits. I'm comfortable where I sit. Uh, I'm comfortable the way I've conducted myself in my career. Uh, he may be too. If he's honest with himself, he shouldn't be. Crazy thing about him, especially at this point in time, and even when he becomes the WWF champion, and I don't know if a lot of fans know this, not a very good draw. Never drew money. Yeah. He was one of the worst drawing champions in the history of the WWF. He just wasn't. I mean, you could say he's a great worker and stuff like that, but there's the other spe- the aspect, the, the Hogan aspect, the, you know, the, the drawing money aspect of Correct. The business, which is which should be paramount to a lot, a lot of people. So Michaels never was that dress. So why is it that he kind of get preferential treatment? Ultimate Warrior could kind of say, "Oh, I mean, he wasn't that great of a draw. He was a better draw than Michaels. Made a lot more money as far as as, as money on top." Hogan and Vince would have arguments with them and, and and falling out with them. How come Michaels kind of was able to skirt all that, even though he was never a good draw? Good question. You have to ask Vince that question. Uh, you're right. You know, it's, uh, you know, sometimes great work doesn't translate to dollars. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know what goes into the chemistry of that. Um, I often tell people I'm going to seminars. We, I can go tonight and have a match with, say, Taz in Pittsburgh and just tear the house down and take that exact same match to Cleveland tomorrow. And for some reason, whatever reason, uh, it's, it's crickets. Um, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, it, it's something in the air, something in the water, something in the chemistry of that match in that particular town. But you're right. You know, Sean, as far as uh, a dollar draw, which is what every champion 
historically has always been compared with. Uh, he doesn't rank high on the list. Um, and I know for a fact, you know, from having, you know, back in the day when Sean and I were, were close, when me, him, Marty, and Dustin were known as the Four Amigos, he used to always, in his own head, have this competition with Ric Flair. You know, that Ric Flair's not all that, and I'm better than he is, and, and those kind of things that he would openly talk about in the car and the hotels with guys like us. And, you know, everybody knows my personal feelings about Rick, but you can't argue the fact that Rick Flair, as a performer and as a champion, was one of the top draws in the history of our business. Um, and I know to this day that's got to sit in, in, in Sean's crow and drive him nuts. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, comparatively speaking, he's just not on the same level as Rick Flair, draw wise. And then he even admits later on he was pissed that Hall and Nash left. At first, he li- kind of liked it because now he's the top, top guy by himself. He's going to prove himself. And then after a while, he was pissed at them and Hogan because the NWO was killing him, basically making him look like a horrible champion, a horrible draw, because Hogan and the NWO were drawing so well. So it kind of it, it, it backfired a bit that uh, Hall and Nash ended up leaving WWF, especially for him for a while. Well, yeah. You know, and, and so, uh, uh, the old saying goes, none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. Uh, so you go out in Madison Square Garden tonight and you shit, not just on the company, but on the fans, and on the people in the dressing room and everything else, just because you guys feel like doing it tonight. Well, then tomorrow, we don't know what tomorrow brings. And tomorrow for him brought that the NWO and uh, WCW was vastly outdrawing him at the time. And that's what very few people fail to remember is that he was one of the top guys during those, what was it, 83 or 93 weeks that WCW beat WWF in the ratings. So it's a give and take. You get the good with the bad, Sean. Now, I just wanted to mention this because obviously that match with you and Sean and Valparaiso, not very good. But... Survivor Series 95, I, I watched that match, and then I watched the first eight minutes over again because I, I wanted to really focus on you and Sean. And obviously, Razor, who, who was basically on your team, ends up screwing you because that was the feud you and Razor uh, stemming back yeah. from him beating you for the IC title. Even though Sean gave the title over to you, you lose it you know, within 20 minutes or whatever. But I just want to say, you and Sean, actually, for the first eight minutes of the match, when you guys were kind of, uh, in it the most and wrestling against each other the most and chain wrestling stuff. You guys did have some pretty good chemistry and, and it looked like, and I was trying to focus on him. He wasn't screwing around. He was taking it seriously. Well, remember chemistry takes two, you know, so I can't go out there on my own single handedly make Sean look good. If he's not willing and he can't make me look good. If I'm not willing, it takes two to create that. Uh, so, you know, and anything you ever saw, whether it was Valparaiso or at some place later, uh, like Sean Forbidden the belt to in your house, uh, I can assure you in the fans, Sean was perfectly fine to wrestle that night. The reason he didn't wrestle that night was because he had to drop the belt. And, you know, I'm a cool people. There wasn't a match I've ever won in this business that I really won 
and it wasn't a match <laughs> I ever lost. I really lost. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. It's an entertainment form. And if you get so caught up in the minutia of that, the winning and the losing, then, you know, you're probably not in the right business. Uh, it has nothing to do with that. My, my take on wrestling fans is the winning and the losing is important, but it's secondary to is the, is the heel believable? Is the baby face believable? Is the angle intelligent and makes me think? Or is it just condescendingly talked down to me? To me, that's what wrestling fans have always looked for. That's what I looked for as a fan before I broke into the business. And I think it's still what the business fans are looking for today, even though we've seen this gigantic, humongous drop-off in the ratings. That can't be uh, explained away with the ratings down across the board, because even though they are on TV, they're not down 96% across the board. And yet that's what we're seeing in our industry. So, you know, like the old saying goes, and my professor told me in college, two plus two equals four numbers don't lie. And when you start to dig into those numbers and you really understand those numbers, you can see that everything that I'm saying to you right now and everything that's been portended out there is true. The, the numbers bear it out. Uh, perplexity still persists. How is it that uh, WWF, WWE is able to sell a show like SmackDown with those really, really bad ratings for $1.2 billion? You know, maybe I'll be proven wrong. I'll be willing to bet that in two or three or four or five years from now, Fox is going to be a little bit chagrined at what they received in response to that money. They uh, they could have used that money on some figures, toy company uh, action figures. Uh, they would have they would have had some better uh, match uh, proposals there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Could, couldn't do much worse. And again, I don't have a time machine. Like I said, time will tell. And I, my guess is they probably would have done fared better, or at least as well, and for a lot lot less dollars. <laughs> you know, I got to dial it back to that Survivor Series match that John's talking about because we're kind of a two-man power trip divided based off of the gimmick of the match. Now, I don't expect you to remember the full gimmick of the match. I'm sure people have mentioned it to you, but I'll just kind of work it into this timeline that I want to present to you. So this match took place. It was uh, November 19th, 1995. It was called the Wild Card Survivor Series 8-Man Tag Team Elimination, which is the classic Survivor Series model. But this was a little bit of a difference that they threw in there. So it was Ahmed Johnson, Shawn Michaels, both baby faces, teaming with Sid and the British Bulldog, who were heels, against the team yeah. of Dean Douglas, heel, Owen Hart, heel, Yokozuna, heel, and Razor Ramon, babyface. So trying to get a little creative and mixing up the pairings there, a little different. Uh, but it plays into the timeline because you would think that somebody like Bill Watts would have his hand in the creative pot. But when you look at the timeline, Bill Watts is gone for over a month at this point. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But Shane, yeah. that concept, do you think at that point that's different or do you think at that point that that's really stupid? No, I mean, look, creatively, it gives you a lot of directions to go. Unfortunately, you can see that night in that match, uh, the way they decided to go was take the low road and have the baby faces all look like heroes and you know the uh the rest play itself out 
Uh, I think if you given, had Bill Watts still been there and given that same exact match, he could have worked magic out of it. All, now that's all considering if you had, you know, eight willing participants. Um, you know, if, as we know, we didn't, at least in mine and Sean's uh, deal, uh, then now you're back to square one. You know, you could, a, a booker can write the perfect storyline, the perfect angle, and it even be executed properly. But if you don't have both participants brought into the finish of that, then it's easy enough for either one of those participants to hijack that and take it somewhere else. Um, you know, if there's, for instance, if there's a lot of uh, interest put on a match that I have with whoever, if I don't want that person over, I can either call that match to make myself look good or uh, allow them to call it. And then when they're executing the move, just take a half a second stutter step in, in the middle of my spot. And so their drop kick is a little bit off. Their punches are a little bit off. The timing looks sort of cattywampus, and the match doesn't quite excel at what it should. There, those are a few ways. There are a million other ways, but you know, it's easy enough for anybody in a, in a dance that requires two. All you need is one person to try to throw that dance off, and that dance is thrown off whether the company wants it to be or not, or the other person wants it to be or not. It's thrown off. So the reason I throw the timeline out there is because the match that you have with Shawn Michaels and Valparaiso is on September 26th. So you're in the, the midst of the Bill Watts booking era, and like you said, you went backstage, and this is kind of the first time you ever really uh, blew him off in terms of your, you know, your anger with the match that just transpired. The Survivor Series match is November 19th. Shawn Michaels is taken out by those uh, servicemen, the 900 servicemen or the 25 servicemen <laughs> or the one guy or who knows, maybe it was even a, you know, a little person uh, at this point. We don't know the real story. So that was 10-13-95, which also is the day that Bill Watts quits the WWF. So not even there for what, a few months and already gone. Were you surprised that he exited so quickly, or are you not surprised based off of some of the uh, the ridiculous stuff that was going on? That wasn't at all surprised. Uh, you know, you have to understand Bill's a very larger-than-life character, uh, very intelligent to what it was he did as a booker, um, but he was also very pro-heel. And, you know, if you go back and look at UF, UWF, um, he was in his companies, or when he was in charge, the heels had a lot of heat. And in order to do that, you have to feed a lot of baby faces to the heels. And uh, it, it seemed to me from the first day that Bill walked into WWF back then, he didn't fit here. This place isn't cut out for him. And it's not cut out for him who wants to be the boss and make all the decisions. When he asked to clear things past Vince, uh, which was Bill's way, you know, again, stronger than iron personality. And also the fact that in the company 
that Vince himself told me we believe the, the fans should always go home happy, meaning the, the baby faces should always go over. It didn't make sense at all to me that Bill was even there in the first place. Uh, I was happy to see him when I did, but I didn't expect him to be there long, and he didn't stay long. And you kind of see hand in hand, I feel like personally, that you were kind of, I would say you're a Bill Watts guy, maybe more in the long run. I don't know about at that point, but, you know, you see then, I think it was, I have the date pulled up here that the pay-per-view uh, with the Intercontinental title, that was 10 95 so that's a little over 10 days after he departs. That kind of, we then start to see, you know, your frustrations come forward and then you're gone by the time the, the year is ending. So do you think that they also kind of linked you to being a Bill Watts guy at that point? Well, I'm, I'm sure there was probably some connection. You know, it wasn't unknown that I had gotten my break in uh, uh, the UWF and, and also that, you know, Bill was a pro. There was a tape, I want to say it was either Lansing, Michigan, or I'm pretty sure it was a Michigan tape where we – heels had gone out and laid all the baby faces out and uh it got a ton of heat i remember there was a woman trying to tack me over the railing uh hitting me with her purse um you know it was you know when you're a heel and you can sense that sort of feeling in the, in the audience you know the baby faces sean kevin scott they're all down laying and selling and you could feel the palpable energy in the audience. That was a Bill Watts idea. You know, that certainly didn't come from the WWF office uh, or from Vince. That that was from Bill Watts. And my guess is, had they played those storylines out, that that would have all those storylines would have drawn money. You know, it's my firm belief in diametric opposition to WWE that fans want to see their heroes climbing the mountain, facing the challenge, uh, overcoming the odds, not their, their hero winning every night. Let's face it, somebody that wins every night, somebody who never loses, somebody who's always better, that's sort of a condescending character. To me, that's a heel. You know, if somebody, if, if, if you give me wrestler A tonight and he never loses and he always wins and he's good looking and you know, seems to be a little bit full of himself. Uh, that's a heel to me. That's not a baby face. Heels have, there's a reason heels have sinks in their armor. And heel, heels are not invincible. I think about Superman comic books. If you take uh, Superman number one, the first episode, the first comic book ever. And once you've gotten to know what that character is, you know, we know we have Lex Luthor and, you know, all Mephisto and all the different heels in, in the comic books. If it doesn't matter who the heel is, if Superman is invincible, then here's comic book number two on the first of the month or wherever they come out. Here's Superman, page two. Here's this month's heel. Page three, Superman wins. Uh, there's a reason there's kryptonite in the Superman comic books. It's to keep him from being invincible, from being unbeatable, uh, from being perfect. You know, perfection is not a babyface trait. Look at Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, right? So uh, when you suddenly have babyfaces winning everything, 
in Vince's words, we believe the fans should always go unhappy, which translates to babyface is always over. Bill Watts had a very keen interest and a, an incredible finger on the pulse of the fans. Uh, it wasn't that it, it wasn't the diametric opposite. It wasn't just well, heels always win and baby faces always lose. It was that that heel seemed so insurmountable, so unbeatable that when that baby face finally does win, you blow the lid off the place. And that doesn't happen if the baby face wins every night. And you actually referenced that when we were talking about Raw's 25th anniversary. You referenced that. Uh, Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan show as being one of your favorite memories of working Monday Night Raw when all that was uh, you know, very popular earlier this year. So it's kind of cool that you can tie it back to that. But yeah, you're 100% right. And uh, it's just crazy looking back. I mean, it's the timeline itself, when you look at the whole thing, and then obviously it's, it's funny how it correlates to what we've been doing on the show because this stuff we're talking about now leads to the beginning of 1996, which then would lead to all the stuff that we just covered with Brian Pillman. So it's kind of funny how it all ties into itself, Shane, in one long stretch of your uh, your career. I mean, you really, <laughs> you've done a lot in this little career here of yours. you got a, you got a good thing going. See, the ankle bone is connected to the shin bone. I told you that. It's, <laughs> everything is connected. It's all, it's all in the grand scheme, and I'm still building towards where I'll reveal the final reveal to everybody at the end of my career. <laughs> now, before I hand it over to John to give us a little Ask Franchise Anything, I need, uh, I need an exact approximation on your point. So how many guys did beat up Shawn Michaels that night? And your guess, your estimation. In reality or, or in the story? Uh, w- whatever you think. What's your, uh, w- what's your thought? If you, had, if you had to guesstimate how many? Well, in, in the story, I think it was like 3,672. <laughs> um but in reality, I know for a fact because uh, Dynamite Davy Boy was there. Uh, Dynamite uh, Davy Boy Smith was there, uh, British Bulldog, and he told me that it was the three of them. It was him, Shawn Michaels, and in the back seat was uh, Shawn Waltman. That's Bob. And you know, uh, at the time that we got to be in your house in Regina, uh, Davy Boy was still sporting bruises and scratches all over his body uh and his story that he told me before getting there and seeing that was that uh as they were leaving the uh the the bar the nightclub whatever it was the dance club uh he tried to get sean out of there because sean when he gets drinking get obnoxious i know the fans will find that very hard to believe uh but uh david decided it was best to get him out of there and as they were leaving the parking lot, driving past the front of the bar, nightclub, dance club, again, whatever it was, uh, just as coincidence would have it, uh, there's the, the Marine, the military guy, I think he was a Marine, standing with this girl that Sean had disrespected in the bar. And Sean, in his typical fashion, decided to put the window down and you know, start to be Sean and the 3,276 military people that were standing there that Sean may have seen, that was really one, dragged him through the window began to beat the shit out of him. It's a pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> impressive number, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's it. 
I said it jokingly, but like at the time, it literally was like we were we were in Germany, and I forget, but it was some crazy number. It was like twenty five people. That's a story that we were told in Germany, like twenty five people or twenty. It was like some crazy number of people. You're like, I don't care if you're Superman. You know, twenty people jumping on you, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna lose. And uh, but it was some crazy number like that. That. You know, when we all heard it, we all looked at each other and thought, it took 25 people to be shot up? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't like, quite add up. You know, like, something's missing here. And uh, then when I got back and heard the whole story by David, I was like, okay, that makes a little better sense. <laughs> like, now, now it's all adding up. Well, now it is that time. AFA, Ask Franchise Anything. Now, we're always getting in questions. Some of them can be a little bit wacky. Some of them can be a little bit goofy. But mostly, for the most part, some great questions. But I wanted to go back and find any that we missed uh, because there's always so many and you can't get to all of them. And some of them um, may have gotten forgotten. But since we were talking about HBK kind of taking a little bit of liberties in the ring and Valparaiso and joking around the match and stuff, this is from the legendary Lenny Backen. He said, Shane, has there ever been a time where another wrestler has taken liberties with you in the ring? Obviously, outside of Shawn Michaels kind of taking a little bit of liberties in the match hmm. with Valparaiso. Uh, you know, when I was younger, you know, the old timers, you know, like the Dick Murdochs and Dick Slaters and guys like that uh, would not, not like in a physical way, like try to go out there and beat you up, uh, but they would you know, get pretty tight and, you know, physical in their stuff, which really set me up for later being in ECW where everything was snug. Um, no, I, I never had a wrestler try to shoot on me in, in the ring um, or, you know, or try to hurt me in the ring. Uh, you know, the, the liberties you're talking about, like with Sean, that, that you know, taking a flat back bump and, and, and in my mind, exposing the business, that's far different from somebody, you know, you know, trying to, you know, squeeze, choke you out or, you know, lay a punch in that's a little snugger than it should be or, or a potato. Um, no, I never had anybody do that in the ring. And, you know, over the years, you know, you always have a couple that will make you question like something's coming in. Uh, the closest I would say that it ever happened physically was with Terry Funk in the uh, XPW show in Philadelphia, where you know he was throwing some punches that were pretty like beyond snug, but it was after he had gotten cut on the arm. And I, in my head, I was I booked with Terry a gazillion times before that, and he'd never done that. Uh, Terry was always snug, but never stiff. And so after the, I don't know, three, four, five hits, I took a bump with the intention of letting him kick me, knowing that, you know, his arm's cut, maybe he can't gauge it. But if he stiff kicks me, I'll know that he's shooting. And I took the bump and he proceeded to, to lay several kicks in that were perfect working kicks. So other than that, that was the closest anybody ever come to, quote-unquote, shooting on me in the ring. Uh, it never happened. How about that, huh? I guess if it's going to come from Terry Funk, 
Uh, is that like a badge of honor? I mean, if, if Terry Funk's uh, starting to go a little Terry oh. Terry Funk on you in the ring, is that like a uh, is that something to uh, be happy about? <laughs> no, at, at that point, you just walk out of the ring and say, "I forfeit the match." It's uh, probably, <laughs> probably better and smarter to live to fight another day. But uh, yeah, yeah, all all the respect in the world for Terry. That's the best. Yeah, we love the Funker on this show, of course. And hey, listen, as we get to wrap it up here. I want to first mention that if you want to send any questions to us for Ask Franchise Anything, please send us an email to thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. Again, it's thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. And we love collecting these questions. It's kind of funny. This was like an unofficial AFA because we do generally use all the questions from the email, but just see a huge pickup in terms of the uh, the social media outreach and people reaching out with direct questions to the show for you. So we thought we'd work them in this way, and we're going to continue to do that because we're very interactive. And Shane, I mean, you might be at the top of the heap. You and Francine both. You guys, you had such a great chemistry ringside. You guys have a great chemistry on Twitter. I cannot believe how interactive you are with the fans, and they uh, they take to it. They see it. And man, do they uh, do they love getting to hear from both of you guys? Uh, it's really cool to see, especially with uh, a couple of these questions we used here tonight. Oh, we have a great time on, on you know online. It really does. Like you know, we hadn't been in contact for so long, and then you get on Twitter and just start bouncing stuff around between the fans and and everybody else, and it really does just sort of take on its own life. So cool, and that's uh, I guess. You know, that's one of the uh, the good things about social media. People can say a lot of bad things, and there's a shit ton of bad things you could say about social media, but that's one of the uh, the great things. But I want to remind you, like I said at the top of the show, that today's episode is powered by our partners from Figures Toy Company. And if you didn't know, Figures Toy Company is revolutionizing the wrestling figure industry by creating collectible action figures of the hottest talent in the industry today, as well as paying homage to the legends of the past. And these fully posable 6-inch action figures are compatible with the modern wrestling figures from other companies and feature intricate designs and realistic clothing accessories. We mentioned the tassels earlier, folks. If you haven't seen the tassels, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty big deal on the, the boost era of the franchise. But the rising stars of wrestling and the legends of professional wrestling figure lines include such stars as Tomatonga, Sammy Callahan, Chris Hero, Joey Ryan, Jerry Lynn, Jim Cornette, Mikey Whipwreck, the Blue Meanie, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas. And you've got nearly 30 different wrestling stars available at figurestoycompany.com and wrestlingsuperstore.com. They say it on this sheet is future releases, but they have been released now, and it's Colt Cabana and Jeff Cobb, as well as Conan. There's also Juventud Guerrera. There's so many great ones out there. And even coming soon, the Queen of Extreme Francine. So again, figurestoycompany.com to order your favorites from the rising stars of professional wrestling and the Legends of Wrestling line. But that is not where it ends, folks. We are going to reveal on Twitter tomorrow or today or whenever you're listening to this, a promotion that will be running for one week leading into next week's episode where you can win your very own franchise Shane Douglas Figures Toy Company Legends, a professional wrestling figure and you got to follow the rules that'll be on there on Twitter. So if you're not on there, make sure you get on. Follow Shane. It's at the franchise SD. Follow John. It's at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow myself at Wrestling Pal, as well as the show, which is the Three Threat Pod. We're all going to be sharing this image. 
that you're going to have to retweet and use a hashtag to be entered to win this franchise Shane Douglas figure. Shane, it's going to be a little hard to let go of it, I got to say. I've had my hands on it for a couple of days now. And uh, I got to, you know what, I got to think about how I say these things because it's uh, it's coming off a little differently when I say it than it does in my head. But Shane, I'm so excited to give away this franchise figure. Well, look, we've been we've been excited about the, the uh, figures toy company uh, deal since I first started dealing with them and creating the new franchise line. And I got to say, the the excitement that we've seen in the fans out there, uh, whether it's online, on Twitter, on Facebook, or out there in the real venues with real wrestling fans, everybody's excited about these things, and they bring them up to get them signed. Uh, you can see how appreciative the fans are that. They've gotten their hands on uh, an action figure for some character that meant something in their upbringing. And let's face it, nostalgia is a powerful opiate. Uh, I think Figures has really tapped into something here with going back to it's, it's, it's no reflection on the business today, but the fact that they're looking back and seeing a Mikey Whipwreck, a Justin Credible, a, a Blue Meanie uh, coming soon, Queen of Extreme Francine, the franchise. Uh, and so many more uh, that, you know, you can see the fans really getting excited. You know, we're at a point where the wrestling fans that, you know, were kids growing up watching us at the time they were watching us in real time have now become full-fledged adults. Sorry to say, but they become full-fledged adults that have disposable income and they love to collect memorabilia and, you know, so as Francine has been selling some of her stuff online, I've sold some of my stuff over the years at different uh, events. This is something that's a really cool line that I think Figures was brilliant to tap into. You know, you can go to any toy store and get a WWE action figure of the character du jour, whoever the, the big characters they're pushing at that time. But the question you have to ask is, does that character mean anything viscerally to you as a fan? Uh, Blue Mini does. Mikey Whipwreck does. Justin Incredible does. The franchise does. The Queen of Extreme certainly does. So, uh, again, I think Figures has really tapped into something here. And I'm excited to see, you know, what others are going to roll out in this line because I think they've, you know, really gotten themselves involved in a, in a pretty cool vein uh, intersecting with that love of the business that so many wrestling fans have. Yeah, and a big shout-out to Chris from Figures Toy Company, who I've been working with to uh, kind of get some of the logistics worked out. Uh, he's a huge fan, Shane. He's a huge fan of yours, and it's uh, it's very cool to see what he's doing. And we were I wanted to bring it up, and it actually got sidetracked here. So I don't know if you want to save it for next week and kind of tease it, but you retweeted the uh, the just-revealed Cliff Compton figure, and uh, to my surprise, yeah. you said you had a great Cliff Compton story, and it had to do with Nigeria. So I don't know if that's something we got to save next week because uh, that's one of Cliff Compton's biggest uh, claims to fame is what happened to him in Nigeria uh, on, on a different tour. I don't know if it's the same one, but uh, I don't know if that's something we want to save for next week, but it was pretty uh, it was pretty funny to see that as I was getting ready for uh, some show prep today. Yeah, let's, let's save that for next week and give it some time to build because it's a classic story and it's so perfect. For, for Cliff, Domino, whatever you want to call him. Uh, we had a great, great time. Uh, first time I met him in Nigeria. And the story, I can assure everybody, 
is worth one to tune back in next week to listen to because uh, it, it so perfectly personifies him as a person, the real him, uh, and, and really in some respects, many respects, his character. Uh, but it's, it's a story that I, I can assure you, you'll be pissing your pants at, once you hear it because it's a hilarious story. <laughs> That's a great tease. Uh, to say the least, which would be for episode number 59. So as we get to uh, really wrap it up here, I want to urge you to get over to our website, tmptofwrestling.com. There you can find the page for the Triple Threat Podcast. And what you can do there is you can access show clips from YouTube as well as full episode downloads. And there's also links to Shane's Figures Toy Company figure directly, as well as the Pro Wrestling Tea Store featuring the amazing line of franchise Shane Douglas t-shirts, as well as the Triple Threat Podcast t-shirts. I mean, John and I are like walking advertisements for this guy here, Shane. I mean, yeah, we, we got every, every day I go out there with a new Shane shirt. I'm looking on Facebook. I'm seeing pictures of John. He's got his franchise shirts on. So uh, if people are wearing them as often as we are, you're in pretty damn good shape. But uh, all the links are on TMPT of Wrestling. Dot com and uh, we also we have a kind of a, another little announcement to uh, to throw out there. We're all going to be together at the end of August at Boardwalk Beatdown, but we're also going to be together at the end of September as part of the Icons of Wrestling show that's going to be in Feasterville, Pennsylvania. And John, I don't want to butcher the date. I believe it is September 29th, Correct. You are correct. Yes, September 29th, Feasterville, Pennsylvania. The Icons of Wrestling. We've done a bunch of these shows, but it's in a different location. And Shane, you are going to be there with us, and we are going to be uh, in the same building, uh, right down the road, right next to, and uh, I hope that you put me right next to her, but Francine will also be in the building. So another <laughs> cool event that we get to build towards with Francine and yourself, Icons of Wrestling. A little caveat here, just to be, and, and the fairness of... Uh, uh, Full advertising, the, the Queen of Extreme only gets to sit next to the franchise. So my my podcast partner is going to sit at least two people away. <laughs> a blast there. I mean, the fans, you know, the Francine, and all the places that she and I have made the appearances together, the feedback and, and from the fans has been phenomenal. Uh, so in Feasterville, I, I know we're going to have a great turnout and looking forward to everybody. Because this isn't something that happens all the time. I mean, how long has it been? Last time previous to these last set of uh, appearances together was 2007. You know, I don't think you want to wait till 2027 for the next time you get a chance to, to take a picture with the franchise and Francine. Uh, and who knows? I don't know about Francine, but I'll probably be dead and gone by then. So it's probably this is probably the best chance to get for uh, taking a picture with the two of us together. Well, you know, I hear that the God and the devil both have dibs on your soul, so I don't know which way uh, you're going to end up going there. <laughs> but let's uh, let's get to the wrap-up here, Shane. Share with the listeners where you're going to be this week and uh, doing your thing out there in the squared circle. Yeah, guys, have another great weekend off. I've got some uh, business to attend to this weekend. So between now and episode 59, this is going to be one of those weeks where I get to spend the entire week doing research and digging into information, getting everything ready. But honest to God, for everybody listening to for 58 weeks now, heading into episode 59, from the bottom of my heart, and speaking for the Chadster and, and JP, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a hell of a lot of fun, and we look forward to another 58 weeks. So make sure you tune in next week. 
Forget your ass franchise. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.